obviously the only people you want to reach if you've got a show in Chicago is people in Chicago. So all of the way that Dice was designed before the pandemic was very local and now it's very global. And we sold um, tickets in 170 countries um, since last April. So it's a truly global thing. Um, you know, obviously hundreds and hundreds of thousands, millions of people have watched live streams during the pandemic. And we think that it, we think it has a really bright future as a complement to you know, the live, the live business. So yeah, it's been, uh, it's been an exciting thing to be working on and it's kept us all extremely busy. So yeah, it's been fun. It's easy to get lost in today's music industry with constantly changing technology and where anyone with a computer can release their own music. But I'm gonna share with you why this is the best time to be an independent musician and it's only getting better. If you have high quality music, but you just don't know the best way to promote yourself so that you can reach the right people and generate a sustainable income with your music, we're gonna show you the best strategies that we're using right now to reach millions of new listeners every month without spending 10 hours a day on social media. We're creating a revolution in today's music industry, and this is your invitation to join me. I'm your host, Michael Walker. All right, so I'm super excited to be here today with Russ Tannen, who's president of a company called Dice FM, which is a ticketing platform for musicians worldwide. They've partnered with artists like Kanye, Sam Smith, and Adele, and lots of uh, major artists, as well as festival legend Primavera Sound. And so today, uh, I thought it would be a great topic to be able to really focus on, as an artist, how can you be successful with when it comes to ticketing and doing live shows, especially if you know, there's like a pandemic recently and you're starting to go switch to like online or live streaming um, and talk about the platform of Dice and what it, you know, what it does for, for artists like you. So Russ, thanks so much for taking the time to, to be here today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to getting into it all. Yeah, absolutely. So to start out with, um, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your story and how you get started and became president of Dice FM. Oh, I started 20 years ago now, promoted my first uh, show. I was living on the Isle of Wight off the south coast of England and I got super into uh, punk and like punk and hardcore, but unsurprisingly, they didn't come to the Isle of Wight. So I sat there and emailed, started emailing bands that I loved and went to a local venue and said, hey, can I, can I book the venue? Um, can I put a show on? And they said, yes, but since you're not 16, you can't actually be in the venue when the band plays. So <laughs> I did it anyway, started putting on shows and booking bands. They would get the ferry over to the Isle of Wight and play. And I would wait in the car park with my friends and I'd just kind of meet them after the show. I'd watch the sound check and that was fun. When I was 16, I could start watching the shows and I started promoting kind of all over the South coast of England. Um, I've been mostly involved in the live side of the business. Uh, eventually ended up at, at Vice um, magazine and running their venues in London. So the old Blue Last, we opened a venue called Birthdays and I was basically like the talent buyer for those spaces. And, and because I was so dialed into the new music scene and the shows that were happening there, I ended up managing some artists. And that was when me and Phil, who's the founder and CEO of Dice, kind of started working together was at his management company. Yeah, kind of long story short, but yeah, we were managing artists and Phil started to talk a lot about how the, the ticketing worked for the artists that we were looking after. I was looking after bands like Peace and Superfood. He was looking after DJs like Benga and Matthew Deere and all these incredible acts. But we would spend a huge amount of time on uh, the show where the artists should play, the artwork for the posters and all, all of those things. But then the ticketing was kind of always the last thing. Uh, and it would always be a bad experience. And so we started to talk about it more and more. And that was where kind of the idea of Dice was born really out of that first hand experience as artist managers. And 
So I've been involved in, in DICE from the very start, started as our first head of music, then I was running everything in the UK as managing director of the UK. I was the chief revenue officer looking after sales and just recently at the start of the year became president of the company and relocated to New York to kind of lead on our expansion in the US. So it's been a, been a bit of a journey, but all, all rooted in the original experience at 14, 15 years old of promoting shows, you know, the thread through the story is always thinking about how to get people to go to shows and market shows and how to get people to have more of these incredible experiences that we love, which is watching live music and having shared experiences to do that. So, yeah. Well, that doesn't sound very important as an artist to learn how to dial that in. No, I'm <laughs> um, awesome, dude. That's really cool that, you know, you started from such a young age, you know, 16 years couldn't even go into the, the show, but you were able to really connect with them before and after the show. And I remember, I think probably a lot of people watching or they're listening to this right now can relate to that experience of like after the show, being able to connect with some of their favorite artists. And it's really cool. And, and certainly too, such a key lever, right? Like the ability to bring together the fans of the music and the artists and be able to make that process of buying tickets as seamless as possible. So yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to hear a little bit about specifically, oh, and I guess one, one quick question too, is just out of curiosity, you had mentioned like Vice Magazine and also Dice. So is, are those like interconnected or just <laughs> no. like a similar word? Just similar words, yeah. There's no, there's no, no connection, no. Yeah. Dang it, dude. I was about to, I was about to pitch my uh, new business idea, mice, and <laughs> to do like a three, three-way partnership. So with Dice, when it comes to like ticketing, you know, I'm sure that you know, having worked with all these artists now and being in the this world for so long, when it comes to ticketing, there's probably a lot of the same kind of challenges and frustrations and mistakes and, and common things coming up for artists when it comes in promoters when it comes to actually like selling these tickets. So I'm curious, like, you know, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see artists struggling with that Dice really helps to solve? Yeah, so I think that the, the fundamental things that were issues for us when we started the company. Um, are still things that need solving that we feel like we have solved when things go through our platform. So some of the big stuff that we really didn't like was that tickets would be resold. You know, when a show sells out, there's going to be scalpers there reselling tickets on secondary sites and all of that money that's being spent by who are often, you know, your top fan isn't going to the artist. It's not going to anyone with a stake in the show. It's just going onto these secondary platforms and to these people who are either buying tickets speculatively or professionally reselling tickets. So we wanted to stop that. And that was really important to us to do at the start. It's why Dice is an app. It's why the tickets are in your phone, they're not sent as a PDF, an email or sent as a paper ticket. They're, they're locked into the Dice um, app and they're only activated 15 minutes before the doors. It's a dynamic QR code. You know, you can't resell the ticket. So that was really important for us. One of the other things that we didn't like about how ticket pricing worked was that you would often get shown a ticket price when you're about to buy the ticket. But by the time you get to the end and you're about to actually pay, suddenly the price is a huge amount more than what you originally thought it was going to be. So we do an all-in pricing where everything that the ticket actually costs is shown upfront to the fan. So there's no surprises later. That point of when fans see the final price is the main place where people actually decide not to buy a ticket because it's such a shock. So instead we show everything up front, here's the complete price, there's nothing hidden and it's just there and you just pay that price at the end of the checkout. And so it makes a much nicer experience just actually buying the tickets. And kind of a lot of the things that you think about when you think about buying a ticket aren't there with Dice. So you don't have to have 
you know, three laptops open and your friend on the phone, like, have you got the tickets and the countdown timers and the capture codes and all of these things are gone. It's just a very simple, delightful mobile purchase, just like when you buy lots of other things on your phone, you know, it's it, the card details are saved. It's very quick. And why shouldn't buying tickets be easy? You know, just like buying anything online mostly is easy, you know? So we fix that. The other really big piece is that fans, you know, they don't know necessarily what shows are going on. Like actually event discovery is, is quite complicated. It's been interesting for me moving to New York um, for the last few months to see how kind of old fashioned actually event discovery still is in New York. Cause unlike London, where we've been going for seven years and lots of people using millions of people are using dice, you know, just to find out what's going on and buy tickets to shows in New York, we're just getting started and people are still doing things. What I consider to be kind of the old way, which is you have a few kind of dominant blogs, which is even kind of old fashioned to even think about blogs, which do listings of everything. And, and you have venues sending out emails every time they're announcing shows, which means that if you're a music fan in New York right now, you have to be subscribed to all these venues, email lists. You have to check this blog like once a day to see if something's been announced and it's not automated anyway. Whereas what we do with Dice is scan your Spotify and Apple music library start to track what you're interested in, what you like. And then we give you personalized recommendations based on all of that data. That's going to tell you every time there's a show that you want to go to, either because you know that artist or a show that we think you're going to want to go to based on your taste. And that's all going to be served to you in the app um, or via push notification and via our emails, which is obviously going to be from a bigger pool of events. So I think that solving how people actually discover events in the first place is the key to getting people to go to more shows, which is the, you know, the mission of the company. So those are the three biggies. Mm, awesome, man. Yeah. So it sounds like you know, really, not only do you help in terms of the actual streamlining the process to make it as frictionless as possible. So, which is great, you know, there's, it's no surprise that one of Amazon's biggest breakthroughs was when they figured out the one-click, the one-click buy option and saving the cards. Like it just makes it as seamless as possible. So that's great. And but not only that, but also you're helping with the acquisition and the exposure. So like really helping to personalize these recommendations for the shows based on their Spotify profiles. That's awesome. And as you're describing like the benefits of for really for the the fan of and it, this. You know, if it benefits the fan, it also benefits the artist as well, because it's going to lead to a better experience, more sales, more people out to the shows. But this yeah. idea of not blindsiding the fan at the end of the process where it's like, oh, great, like this is way more than I was expecting. And it sounds like a big part of what you're trying to build or what you have built with Dice is really this ecosystem where people are going to yeah. keep coming back and rediscovering new shows. I think that a bit, you know, we, fundamentally we look to how to build dice i think a bit differently to how uh ticketing or event discovery platform have been built before which is that we just put the fan and continue to put the fan at the center of all of our decision making and everything that we do so when you when our, our experience with ticketing before launching dice and using ticketing companies for our artists was it almost felt like the fan was at the bottom of the priority list for those companies. And you really felt that as a consumer and the artists could see it when their fans were buying tickets to the shows, you know, it felt like they weren't thinking about the fan experience at all. So we really tried to address that, you know, dramatically with building out the product in, in the way that we have and working on it, you know, very hard over the last seven years to get it to where it is and to be able to kind of scale it up now. Yeah, I think like having that focus on the end user as someone who's ultimately like, you know, really thinking about that experience is, is really important. It ripples across everything. 
And uh, obviously, like the music industry, especially, and really the live event industry, it's been really challenging. There's been a lot of pivoting, a lot of adapting to more of like a live streaming model. So I'm curious for for Dice, like what has been your experience with kind of with exploring the realm of like ticketing for live streaming events? Is that something that you see artists having a lot of success with? And what's your process like for that? Do you allow people to do like live streaming ticketing events? I mean, yeah, we obviously had the same extremely challenging wake up reality moment in March, 2020, that I'm sure every business did, but especially, you know, ticketing companies working in live music, artists, like everyone kind of had that realization that this thing was here and serious and it's going to affect us dramatically. I don't think we knew at that point how long things were going to go on for. Like it still surprises me now that we're still in this conversation, that things are still going on, but you know, we acted pretty fast in the first couple of weeks. Um, one of the things we did was to, there was no kind of business as usual for most of the company. We were rescheduling events and postponing events at that time, which was a team working on that. But for a lot of people, the things that they would normally be doing weren't there to do. So we decided to split the company up into small teams, project teams, and do like a two week project. And one of the projects that we did was to explore live stream ticketing. And so what we managed to do very quickly was start to ticket um, free live stream events and thinking all the way back to, you know, April and May, 2020, it was, there was an explosion of live streams. They were all free. Everyone was jumping on their Instagram live or setting something up in different places, YouTube, lots of artists were at home. Everyone thought this was going to be for a couple of months, then they were going to be back on the road. And we did in the first two months, 2000 live streams through the platform that were all free. And we, we quickly pivoted the product. We realized that the way that our event discovery works was very, you know, suitable for live streaming. We changed some of the language around when you um, bought a ticket, how the ticket worked. We were sending people, you know, a link instead of a QR code at 15 minutes before on their ticket. You know, there was little things we were able to do very quickly because we have an amazing in-house, you know, development team who just wanted to be working on great things. And that was the thing to be working on that moment. What we managed to do was actually work with Lewis Capaldi originally to do a paid live stream. And that was the first artist that kind of came out and said, you know, I know everyone's doing this for free, but you know what, let's do something a bit more high quality. He charged a very reasonable ticket on the anniversary of this album coming out. And we sold tens of thousands of tickets. And we realized at that point that there was actually something that wasn't just kind of a gimmicky thing for people to do at the start of the pandemic, but maybe even could generate revenue for artists at a time when obviously most of the revenue streams were certainly on the live side, were not there. So we had an amazing journey with this over the last 18 months where we've ended up ticketing six and a half thousand live streams since about May last year, they've been predominantly paid live streams. We worked with a, a company called Drift on shows like Laura Marling and Nick Cave and Kylie Minogue. We did an awesome artist from Houston called Toby Nwigway. We did David Guetta on the roof of the Rockefeller Center. We did all these different amazing shows and they continue to come, come through. And for us, it was a great experience because for the most part, we had artists and their managers working with us directly on making these events happen. And they were either going into a local rehearsal space or a studio or even just at home or a local venue and putting together the production themselves. And we were guiding people and still guiding people on how to do that in a high quality way. And then doing our thing, which is helping to actually market the shows, but for the first time to a global audience. You know, when you market a live event, Obviously, the only people you want to reach if you've got a show in 
Chicago is people in Chicago. So all of the way that Dice was designed before the pandemic was very local and now it's very global. And we sold um, tickets in 170 countries um, since last April. So it's a truly global thing. Um, you know, obviously hundreds and hundreds of thousands, millions of people have watched live streams during the pandemic. And we think that it, we think it has a really bright future as a complement to, you know, the live, the live business. So yeah, it's been, uh, it's been an exciting thing to be working on and it's kept us all extremely busy. So yeah, it's been fun. Oh, what's up guys? So quick intermission from the podcast so I can tell you about an awesome free gift that I have for you. I wanted to share something that's not normally available to the public. They normally reserve for our $5,000 clients that we work with personally. This is a presentation called Six Steps to Explode Your Fan Base and Make a Profit with Your Music Online. And specifically, we're gonna walk through how to build a paid traffic and automated funnel that's gonna allow you to grow your fan base online and the system's designed to get you to your first $5,000 a month with your music. We've invested over $130,000 in the past year to test out different traffic sources and different offers and really see what's working best right now for musicians. And so I think it's gonna be hugely valuable for you. And so if that's something you're interested in, in the description, there should be a little link that you can click on to go get that. And uh, the other thing I want to mention is, you know, if you want to do us a, a huge favor, one thing that really makes a big difference early on when you're creating a new podcast is if people click subscribe, then it basically lets the algorithm know that this is something that's new and noteworthy and that uh, people actually want to hear. And so that'll help us reach a lot more people. So if you're getting value from this and you get value from the free trainings, then if you want to do us a favor, I'd really appreciate you clicking the subscribe button. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Wow, that's super cool, man. So just out of curiosity, like with the live streams, I'm sure you've seen some different like experiments and like different like price points and what for them for like, what's kind of like the average, like asking price for like a ticket for a, for a live stream? It's interesting. So it started out pretty low, you know, it would be like $10 and then it kind of creeped up during last year. And now it's come back to about 10, like 10 to 15 for like a paid live stream. So yeah, I think that's, I think that's going to be where it kind of lands. That said, I think that everything is probably going to look different again in, in another three to six months, just because there's a lot of touring going to be happening. People are going to be doing live streams, maybe on one night of their tour. People are going to do varying amounts of additional production to produce the live streams there's gonna be different costs involved so i think for some artists they'll probably end up still going much higher than that and there's still you know lots of artists putting up live streams where they do have much higher ticket prices but i think that it's going to come down to around that mark probably going to balance out similar to what you pay to watch like a new film on an amazon prime wow that's awesome i mean it just seems like it's such a good move to have a paid live stream that you know, people, I've heard this before, like a few of my mentors have, I'm going to butcher the phrase, but something like, you know, people vote with their dollars and what people invest in is like, it's what they take seriously. And it's almost like a commitment and it shows that they care. And they're way more likely if someone invests something, they're way more likely to show up and actually engage and interact and they get more value out of it because they, you know, really put their money where their mouth is. And so I can see why making that shift from like a totally free live stream, where there's just so much like information, a lot of it's kind of lower quality or whatnot. It's actually having a paid model of a $10 live stream, more intentional, you know, they really show up. It just, you know, it, it shapes the experience. It makes it a better experience for everyone involved. And it sounds like it can be a really powerful, you know, revenue stream as well for, for artists who maybe aren't playing live shows in person right now. 
It's true. It's a good point. They, uh, we have our own player now and everything kind of sits on a dice player when we do a, a live stream. We didn't have that originally. We were working a lot with YouTube and other players. And I remember talking to YouTube early in the pandemic and they were saying like one of the things they were amazed with the paid live streams was the actual watch time on the stream. So people were really sitting down and watching it for an hour and a half or two hours. And they're watching the whole thing, which is a totally different type of watching or viewership, I guess, than what you would, what you'd normally expect from when you're watching YouTube and you're flicking through videos and you're kind of going from thing to thing. This is really like you paid, you're there to watch it. You know, you're, and you're going to watch the whole show. So yeah, it's a good, it's a good point. It, it's it's just psychology yeah, of, of paying for it that shifted, and then it shifted what was possible in terms of production. And it's how you know to use the Nick Cave example. You know, they were able to do this beautiful film in Alexandra Palace, which then they turned into a record and all the rest of it. So yeah, it was an important move, and I think that people were happy to pay. You know, I think, you know, the people realized that this was a valuable source of income for artists during the pandemic, but also that people want to watch quality shows, like when they're sat and they've got all the other things they can watch on TV, they're stuck at home in lockdown and they could be watching all the different streaming services that are all spending billions of dollars on content, trying to get you to watch it. And, you know, they're happy to pay something to watch something that's at that sort of standard. So I think it was an important moment in the, in the pandemic for sure. Mm, that's really cool. I mean, I can even imagine there being a model or like a, using the platform to, you have these ticketed live events and then afterwards having the replays and having either a subscription model or something where fans can get access and watch different shows or access other recordings for like for a discounted price or something like that could be could be super interesting that really ties in with like the fact that it's done virtually so we have the recording you can leverage it this is super cool i think this is really interesting especially for like i imagine like release parties and like shows like that where it's like it'd be really powerful to have a nice streamlined platform that looks great that ties in for musicians for their release party that they can send people to to for a ticketed event what's the process for let's say that someone's watching or listening to this right now and they're interested in becoming an artist and using the platform and actually setting up a live streaming event it sounds like a lot of what you're doing right now is really working directly with the artists and setting up these events and collaborating with them together so i'm just wondering what that process looks like like how much of it is you know, sort of do it yourself versus like you know like a selection process or working with like a limited amount of artists or and what yeah. the process looks like Definitely. I mean, we have, we, we have a curated platform. Uh, there's something else that's, uh, that's different about Dice. So, you know, we're very selective about what comes onto the platform and be it on the ticketing side when, we, when we're choosing which venues we want to work with on the live streaming side, which tends to be more artists. I think what's different about now versus if we were having the conversation a year ago, predominantly we expect um, the live streams that are happening from now on to come from some of the venues that we work with, which we're setting up so that they're ready with some of the basic infrastructure that you need to do a genuinely live stream. So what I would say now is firstly, they should talk to our artist development team and the contact details for that on the website. An amazing guy, Jordan Gremley, who's joined us after eight years at Spotify, where he was building out all of their fans first program and everything. He's come to lead our lead and build our arts development team to work on exactly this with artists on how they can grow their career through lots of different services that DICE offers, but initially through live streaming. So they should speak to him and his team, but then they should look at which venues we're working with on streaming and we can help them, you know, find the right venue based on either where they are or the genre of music that they play to 
maybe get on a bill at one of those venues and and or, or have a show at one of those venues and then we can live stream that event and uh, that's going to be kind of the model um, going forward predominantly i think that there's still going to be great opportunity for people to special one-off live streams that sit separate from the live show more similar to kind of the big things that we've done in the past and we'd love to talk to artists about that as well like you said maybe a record release event something very ambitious visually that they might want to put together and again for the most part that's a conversation between us and artists maybe their label and and we'll all make it happen cool so it sounds like really the best first step would be going to the website and reaching out to the artist development team there and uh, going from there. Awesome. I mean, part of the reason that I ask is kind of selfishly. I know a guy, I know a musician who's getting ready to release some new music and it's, it's this guy, the guy that I'm pointing <laughs> at right now is myself. Yeah. So I think it'd be, yeah, I, w- I would love to explore using the platform for a release party show. And yeah, it just sounds like a great, a great model too. And, and so if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds like a big part of what you guys are focusing on right now is really collaborating with the venues themselves and helping them get great setups where they can do live streams themselves and sell sick ticketed events, which is really smart. I mean, the venues, have been impacted so much, you know, just as much as, as any of us have from like the live event. So like really creating, using them as like a basis foundation for like for creating events makes it seems like it makes a lot of sense. But also it sounds like you do work with a curated list of artists um, that are doing it from home as well. If they have a good you know, kind of setup for like a release a release show or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And and quality is the focus for us. So want to continue to keep that quality bar extremely high. And I think with the, you're right to point out, you know, the focus is definitely right now with venues and what, like, we hadn't talked about live streaming before March last year. We didn't think that Dice was going to be a platform for live streams, but now we really do believe that it's going to be, you know, as I mentioned, like an important complementary part of the music business. And a lot of that is because the, the breadth of where people are watching these um, streams from, you know, if they're, reaching this truly global audience on an, even on an individual stream, we were having over a hundred countries viewing one event, you know, it's like that audience isn't going anywhere and, and those artists aren't going to be able to reach all of those people, um, live, you know, so I think continuing to serve those audiences, thinking about moments like a record release or, you know, an anniversary of an album or the New York show on the tour that you just want to play because you're playing this amazing venue, you know, it's all of those reasons, those hooks that you can create in the storytelling of why this is worth being shown as a live stream. I think the crucial things to focus on as an artist. Yeah. It just makes sense in terms of the model itself. Why why it works in the sense that it's it seems like a big part of it is that it's a lot more intentional than a lot of live streams that we've been you know frankly inundated with since the pandemic there's so so much i mean the internet there's so much information there's so many things happening and since the pandemic especially so many live streams that it, it seems like a huge part of the value proposition is really the intentionality behind it and making sure that there's a reason, there's a reason why we're doing this. And and that's great. So, so one thing that I'm curious about, you know, with our program where we're working one-on-one with hand-selected, hand-selected clients with modern musician, we're setting up some really advanced, you know, marketing tools and, and things that are doing event tracking and, and integrating it with uh, Facebook and Instagram advertising and creating lookalike audiences and tracking like the event value and, and whatnot. So one one thing that I'm curious about is when it comes to when it comes to artists using the platform, 
do they have access to, like what kind of access do they have to the data of their fans who are purchasing tickets? Are they able to like, to have the database and be able to see those events and be able to like run ads themselves or what's that process look like? It's one of the really interesting things about what happened in the last 18 months with ticketing and the data that you get from a ticketed um, show. Obviously, that is given to the venue who's passing it to the promoter, who's passing it to the booking agent, who's going to pass it to the manager. And then the artist is going to get told, you know, once it's gone through that chain, this is how many tickets you've sold for the show. With the live streams, because the artists were coming to us directly, we could set them up straight away on the back end and they could see live just like, you know, because they were the promote, they are the promoter of their live stream. They're doing almost, I think it's like 95% of the live streams we did were just done by the artists themselves or by their managers themselves or by the label. So, you know, they were able to just log straight in and see all the same live sales data. And they were able to see the demographic information that we share, you know, all of the, the data points that we show and the analytics we show in our tool, which is normally only really shown directly to the venues and the promoters. So there was an interesting one, you know, it was, I remember on some of the early live streams we did, you know, managers reaching out to say, you know, this is amazing to be able to see this stuff because normally it kind of goes through that whole chain but with the live streams it was just so much more direct so yeah they're able to as an artist you're able to just log in and see everything in there and you can see the sales going up and then you can really make those connections then yourself around oh i'm gonna do an instagram post about my live stream and then you can check and you can see oh actually that made a difference like i've now i've sold some more live stream tickets so i think being able to just give the artist that information directly on the streams is is really exciting that's super exciting. Yeah, I'd say that's like a huge value proposition compared to, again, like a lot of other ones where you don't necessarily have access to the actual fan event data or it's tricky. I mean, especially when if you're running like active campaign or like a CRM and you actually want to know who should I follow up with, like who's actually gotten the ticket, who hasn't, who should I send a follow up email to or a text message. That's really cool. And if I'm understanding you right, so like, so right off the bat, you can really see who signed up for it and you know, what, which of your marketing campaigns have really moved the needle and made, made an impact on it. Are they able to export, you know, like a, a list of like everyone that's purchased and like, like a table or are there like direct integrations between like, I don't know, Zapier or like even native integrations with other CRMs? Um, you're able to, that people are able to opt in for like additional marketing. So if, so for fans that have opted in for marketing from you as the artist, then you're able to, to download that data and, and use that, you know, and, and integrate that into your other campaigns long-term because obviously we're working with you on one event, but later you might want to be selling those fans, your record, appointment to Spotify or whatever it is. So yeah, so you're able to, to access that data. I think what we show you in the back end is, is really sophisticated in terms of setting up all the different links you might want so you can see which links are tracking well and selling on different platforms the demographic and analytics information that we show based on you know where fans might be coming from what ages they might be like what the artists they're into you know there's a kind of there's a load of stuff that we kind of show you in there that is, is actionable as well that that's kind of quite interesting stuff just to dig into so that's the type of stuff that you can get into. And again, it's all the things we've built out actually more with the live side in mind and the venues and the promoters in mind that actually all translates really nicely for an artist. Yeah, like I, I really imagine the difference between a fan who 
you know, listens, streams you once on Spotify or even joins your email list and is like, you know, connecting with your music versus someone who actually buys a ticket and comes out to a show or attends a live stream. There's going to be such a higher level of connection and engagement and being able to, you know, have that segment and be able to create a lookalike audience based on those people. So you can attract more fans that are going to be the types of fans who actually really connect with the music and actually come out to shows, come out to live streams. Uh, could be super powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally different. I think all artists' careers are built on that experience of seeing at a show. That's when you create huge fans, right? Like when you actually get people in the room for the first time, you sell your first couple of hundred tickets and you know, you start building it up. Like those are the moments when people are like, yeah, like I'm a massive fan of this artist. Like they, you need to have that. And live streaming has been a way of us doing actually something that does hit that emotional nerve in the same way, but being able to open it up to a much broader audience where it doesn't matter, you know, for most new artists developing, yeah, they're going to play major cities, but they've got to get to a certain size before they can do like huge tours or global tours. Whereas a live stream, you have an opportunity to create those types of fans very early, actually, in a career, if you can reach the right audiences and get people to watch it. And that was one of the really surprising things for Leon as well, was how similar not the same, but similar, the experience of watching a live stream could be emotionally and seeing people posting pictures of themselves, you know, like in tears, maybe like they've just watched Laura Marling and they're crying and it's like this really amazing moment. And you wouldn't have thought before the pandemic necessarily that would be possible digitally, but actually it is. So you can create real fans, lifelong fans, I think, using live streams. And yeah, we're excited to, to do more of that work. Yeah, I mean, I guess in, in one way, it's, it could be kind of similar to the movie theater experience, you know, like, you know, there's like a communal experience to going out to movie theaters. I think there's probably a bit, bit more elevated experience com- communally when you're going out to like a show. But in the same way, you know, there, there is a community kind of live in person feeling to the, the movie theater. But talk about how convenient it is to be able to like rent movies or watch Netflix or something at home and be able to sit on your couch and like in your own space. And there is like a a big appeal to that. We think as well that people are going to go to like screening events of the live streams. I think for the more for like the bigger artists, but you know, like the same as you would with major sporting events. Cause we, we're seeing this already. We saw it during the pandemic when, you know, countries were in different stages where they were able maybe to do socially distanced screenings in bars where people would get in touch and say, Hey, I see you're doing this live stream with Bjork. Can we do a screening? And we'd be like, where is this venue? Oh, it's in Tokyo or it's in Hong Kong. And like people were getting in touch and just saying, Hey, we want to organize an event to have people watch this live stream. And I think that could happen. You know, you can imagine the right types of bars, the right types of spaces actually having a screen up and yeah, like whatever the artist is when they're playing their show, if they're live streaming it, then people might get together and watch it together. You know, if even if they're not able to go to the show, you know, they can just watch it together in a bar somewhere. So I think that's going to be a thing too. Hmm. That is a really cool idea. One other question that I'm curious about uh, when it comes to like the ticketing, is it usually like a one, one price ticket and you get one thing or is there any elements of like, if you want to get a VIP upgrade, like a meet and greet, there's a few different tiers of, of pricing? Yes, it just depends on what the artist wants to do. I think there's been some interesting things around meet and greets that have been done. You know, meet and greets has obviously been building and growing like segment, the sort of direct artist fan club type experiences, you know, that people have been developing over the last few years and it's getting bigger and bigger. And then it was interesting how quickly that 
translated into kind of digital things. And we did a bunch of things over the last 18 months on that as, as well. So you're able to offer those types of experiences. We're also doing things like merchandise that you can add on like through the platform or do separate merch drops. We did a merch drop with Iggy Pop um, and an amazing company um, called Drop Party where he did a live stream. Of, it was actually a premiere of a film that he made before the Sydney Opera House. And we premiered that on the platform and it came with a merch drop just for attendees. And you know, there's extra things that you can do to generate more revenue and also create amazing experiences for the fans. So there's a load that you can do with the platform to do things like that, but it really is a very bespoke kind of thing that different artists want to do different. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So it sounds like what you're saying is that it, in a lot of ways, it depends on the, the artist's vision and you know having different, different offers, but it's definitely uh, possible. Cool, man. It's super cool. So... One thing that, that I want to mention for everyone that's like watching this right now, and just for like for us that I'd be really curious in exploring, like if you guys are ever at a point where you're looking to um, expand at least part of it to a beta for like a more of like a do it yourself for like less curated, but you still have like the ones that you work with personally, you do the curated. You know, I think that a lot of people who might be listening or watching this right now would be super interested in being a part of that beta trial. So I would love to, you know, work together personally with you. If you guys were ever interested in kind of exploring that and you wanted some beta artists to test it with, we could give you some like really high quality artists to be able to try out some new ideas. Yeah, great. That's, that sounds awesome. And like I said, we're just building and expanding that team. So yeah, that's that, that, that arts development team is um, based out of, of New York and, and London, but kind of headed up here in New York. And yeah, it's going to be a big team of, of people that are there to connect with artists like yourself and, and the others that you're working with and make this stuff happen. But yeah, that sounds perfect. Cool, man. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to be here and for creating a great tool and a platform that solves a big need for artists, you know, just in general, you know, with like live events and, you know, streamlining the process, but also especially in the midst of the pandemic and a really challenging time for a lot of artists. It sounds like you've really been like a, a ray of light that has been able to shine and really help a lot of these artists to, you know, continue doing what they were put on this earth to do. So th thank you so much for, for that. Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah. And so to recap, for anyone that's listening to this right now, and who's like, this is awesome. I would love to be involved. I would love to, to get in touch. What's the best way for people to, to reach out and see if they might be a good fit for Dice? So you can go directly to our website, which is dice.fm. Um, and from there, you'll be able to navigate whether you're an artist that's listening and you want to get in touch um, with the arts development team, whether you're a promoter or a venue that might be listening and you want to get in touch with the partnerships team, or if you're someone that um, wants to come and work at DICE, we're hiring a load of people at the moment globally. So no matter where you're listening, there's, there's probably something close, um, all different types of roles. So yeah, please check out the, the jobs page as well. We're growing rapidly. So yeah, there's some really exciting stuff up there. So do check that out too. Cool. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, I, I would highly recommend for, for anyone who is listening to this right now, um, who this has resonated with, or you're like interested in exploring this to, uh, to check out the website and we'll put some links on the show notes to make it as easy as possible to click through to it. And yeah, Russ, thank you again. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to be here today. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Russ. Hey, it's Michael here. I hope that you got a ton of value out of this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you want to support the podcast, then there's a few ways to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, then that'll make sure you don't miss a new episode. Secondly, if you share it with your friends or on your social media, tag us. That really helps us out. 
And third, uh, best of all, if you leave us an honest review, it's gonna help us reach more musicians like you who wanna take their music careers to the next level. The time to be a modern musician is now, and I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.